Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about this episode is Katerina by James Frey. Why does that name sound so familiar? I feel like I feel like I've heard of this James well, Frey guy. Let me tell you that let me read the bio and then maybe okay. maybe it'll jog a memory for you. So James okay. Frey is originally from Cleveland. Are you getting anything yet? I don't know. No. <laughs> Cleveland's in Ohio, right? Um yes. He is the author of A Million Little Pieces and my friend Leonard, he lives in New York. <sighs> Something's coming to me. Yeah. And I'm picturing a guy on the Oprah show, jumping up and down on a couch. Well, no, that's Tom Cruise. Ah, never mind then. No idea who James Frey is. <laughs> but I think that I think you're on the right track. He was the guy who uh, he got in the shit because he marketed his book as as a memoir when it was really, um, uh, at least heavily fiction, fiction, fiction. That guy. Um, yeah, no, I know who he is. I remember um, vaguely kind of following it. Here's the problem with the Oprah Book Club. It's that I think I mentioned this on the podcast, maybe in year one. Like the Oprah Book Club was such a great thing because really what the Oprah Book Club meant to me was if they put that little sticker on the front of the book, it was like a giant warning sign that it wasn't going to be something that I wanted to read. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, all of that changed um, when The Road came out. Yeah, yeah. Cormac McCarthy. I, I read The Road. I really liked The Road. And then it became an Oprah Book Club book. So I became very confused. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I like that book, though. This can't be right. <laughs> you know, so I'm checking yeah. to see if it's authentic. I'm at the bookstore and I'm looking at all of them, see if someone just fucked around. Because at one point I had the idea of just making those stickers and then going and just sticking them on random books in the bookstore for people to be like... <laughs> What the fuck? Shatner uh, Quake is a goddamn Oprah Book Club pick, but what the fuck? It's just about William Shatner fighting every version of himself that he's ever played. So, um, I mean, at any rate. The, the most unbelievable part of that is that Shatner Quake would be in a bookstore. Well, that's, yeah, that's very true. No no offense to the book. I'm, I'm You know, I know you really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It was more offense to bookstores. Yes. No, no, I understand. Um, yeah. So James Frey has written a couple of books since A Million Little Pieces. Let me give people the, the, the rundown in case none of this sounds familiar. James Frey wrote a book. It was marketed as a memoir, as Rob said. Um, not so much that it was heavily fictionalized. My understanding, because I did do a little bit of research on this after the fact, um, there are parts of the book that were sensationalized and, and, and you know, and down like out. Exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, one of the big ones everyone talks about is he said he was in jail for three months. Turns out he was in a holding cell for like a few hours, like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Right. So not that it didn't follow his life, but in pieces, uh, pieces in parts of a million little pieces. Um, it was exaggerated enough that the people went full out like Millie Vanilli on his ass oh. and, uh, Publishers offered refunds and whatever. So we're going to have more thoughts about that. But really, the big part of that story is not that this happened, but that he duped Oprah. Oprah cried on TV talking to him about his book. And apparently, this I didn't know, she had closed the Oprah Book Club down. So I was just reading all kinds of shit not knowing I shouldn't be, right? But that she brought the <laughs> Oprah Book Club back for a million little pieces. That she was so excited about it oh. that she, she reinvigorated the Oprah Book Club and then uh, subsequently um, wound up um, embarrassed, I guess, because she, I don't know what, like, there's no fault of her. I don't know why she would be embarrassed or, or whatever, right? Like, well, she got taken in by like everybody else, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't see what the problem is. I did read today, though, that it, like three years later, she actually called him and apologized for like all the things she said about him after the fact. For the for the nasty shit that came out of it. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. Yeah. So uh, good on you, Oprah. <sighs> well, I'm sure that we'll have opinions Rain. about uh, the dude as a writer after we we talk about the book a little bit. But um, I don't know, man. You just got me thinking about Millie Vanilli now. For people who don't, we talked about Millie Vanilli on the podcast recently, I feel, right? I, I think it comes up, like, kind of disturbingly regular, <laughs> regularly. Love, God damn it, I love Millie Vanilli. And I, <laughs> I said this to someone I work with. I said this James Freer. It was kind of like the Millie Vanilli thing. And, and, and my coworker said, who's Millie Vanilli? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like when Rob Hart was on, we were talking about James Patterson and Millie Vanilli. I think that's where it. Mm, yeah, you're probably like right. Maybe that's where it was. At any rate. Here is the synopsis for Katerina, a fiction novel, I think. I don't know. A kiss, a touch, a smile and a beating heart, love and sex and dreams, art and drugs and the madness of youth, betrayal and heartbreak, regret and pain, the melancholy of age. I feel like this is a chapter in the book. This is exactly he had to write his own he synopsis. Maybe for wrote his own synopsis. <laughs> Katerina, the explosive new novel by America's most controversial writer, is a sweeping love story alternating between 1992 Paris and Los Angeles in 2018. At its center are a young writer and a young model on the verge of fame, both reckless, impulsive, addicted, and deeply in love. 25 years later, the writer is rich, famous, and numb, and he wants to drive his car into a tree when he receives an anonymous message that draws him back to life and possibly the love he abandoned years prior. Written in the same percussive, propulsive, dazzling, breathtaking style as A Million Little Pieces, Katerina echoes and complements that most controversial of memoirs and plays with the same issues of fiction and reality that created, nearly destroyed, and then recreated James Frey in the American imagination. Uh, because you stumbled on whether it was fiction or not, mm-hmm. I went to Amazon. I want to see where it's ranking in the different categories. Um, it is under literature and fiction. Um, also in the subcategories of genre fiction and coming of age is also literary. So maybe this is a coming of age, but I didn't even realize that we read a coming of age book until I went to Amazon just now. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of addressed in the synopsis, which I had not read previously. It says plays with the same issues of fiction and reality. Yeah. So I'm guessing that. You know, all right. So here's one of the one of the problems. The first thing on Wikipedia is you're reading through his life. Says he graduated from college in 1992, and then in, he's in Paris in 1992 and had dropped yeah. out of school. So there's yeah. already a little bit of, of an issue with with it starting there. But yeah. So we're gonna go with it's a uh, based on a true story. Maybe that's um. Yeah, I think that and. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this because I have so many thoughts about what went down versus the book. Do you want to just dive into the book a little bit and then um, we can we can see how it ties in with our thoughts about the, the author? Here's my thought and see if see if you can agree to this. Let's treat this like a fiction novel. Yeah, that's and, a, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's listed under fiction. No one's claiming that it's really truth. So let's treat it as a book and then maybe we'll talk about how this ties in with yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for the reception of his subsequent books. So I'm sure we both have thoughts on that. Hey, if, if Oprah, I, I just thought about Oprah. I was thinking about Oprah just now, and I was thinking if she wants to bring back that book club and talk about a junkie, Cherry by Nico Walker. 
Um, I would have to agree. Boom. Although that is um, is not marketed as a true story. <laughs> so <laughs> that guy, so funny. Just, yeah, James Freed is way into our hearts. <laughs> Now James Frey is a verb. All right, so um, the book basically a couple notes about the book before we start about the story itself. It, it jumps in time between 1992, so it starts out pre 1992 Paris when this kid uh, is is um, just starting college, right? Um, but then basically jumps between being um, his life in Paris in the early 90s to his life in LA in the uh, like present day basically it was 2017 so i'm assuming it was present day when he wrote it um and it just kind of jumps back and forth between uh his his child his youth uh in his early 20s and um the present day but it begins um with him being basically like a horny college student i mean he's horny let's be honest he's horny through the whole thing um but a college student uh, kind of learning about love and trying to and not really having an identity yet and there's this kind of defining moment when someone gives him a copy of of Tropic of Cancer, right? It was Tropic of Cancer, not. It Tropic was, of, yeah, because there was also Tropic of Capricorn. I want to make sure I got the right one. Correct. Um, Tropic of Cancer, and it basically like opens his eyes to, um, you can write in a specific way that he never thought was possible, and it really romanticized Paris for him, and that's what what led him to go to Paris in his early twenties, drop out of school, go to Paris. I'm going to try to tell this in the alternating style that it happens. Um, in the today, he receives, as the synopsis mentions, um, a, a message from somebody he is not familiar with um, that basically says, hi, have you been thinking about me, blah, 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 and goes on and plays this kind of like, who is this kind of game with him um, on and off. And that's how we alternate. It's uh, his reflections today on where his life is. Um, but the vast, vast majority of this book, probably 80% of this book, takes place in Paris when he is just a youth who has decided to um, work really hard for a few months, save up as much money as he can, um, drop out of society in the U.S., reemerge in Paris, and try to Henry Miller his way to stardom. He uh, he is an aspiring writer after reading this one book, which is kind of funny if you think about it. <clears throat> uh, and wants to write a book that's going to burn the world down, i.e. Um, really affect people positively, negatively, whatever, just to get reactions from people. So uh, he sets up shop in Paris, um, finds a roommate, and they live above a bakery. And uh, he proceeds to mostly just, um, as Rob said, kind of drink and, and fuck his way through Paris. All right. So uh, before we continue, I just want to do in my best Fred Gwynn voice. What is a ute? Said, I said ute, didn't I? You did. did I, I say ute. ute. I said, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, well, my cousin Vinny moment. Yeah. Is that where yeah. you got that? That's, yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Fred Gwynn um, was the guy who played the judge who, yeah. That was uh, Munster, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't he Herman play? Munster, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Herman yeah. Munster, yeah. I saw that movie once. It wasn't a very good movie. My cousin Vinny? Yeah. It all hinges on some real dicey Marissa Tomei. Like, she was such a New Jersey, like, like I don't know. But knowing a lot of cars, anyway, that has nothing to do with this book at all. Where did oh he was drinking and fucking his way through through Paris, right? Is that what mm -hmm. you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean that's basically the book. Uh, <laughs> um, Essentially, I, 
I, I, I like the way that you said he reads one book and then decides to be an author because like that's I mean that's essentially what happens and he goes to like and I have a lot of I have a lot of problems with the the protagonist whose name is Jay now and I and I'm not saying this is James Frey but the protagonist's name is Jay I had a friend when I was in high school named James and his nickname was Jay hmm so I'm drawing a little you know see I'm, I'm drawing a little. <sighs> I have trouble with nicknames that are the yeah. same number of syllables as the actual name. <laughs> yeah, what's the point, right? <laughs> so yeah. just if we're, if we're on that, if we're going to talk about nicknames. Yeah, <laughs> he um, he meets um, this chance encounter. He's sitting outside the gates of hell, um, which is a, a structure of some sort in Paris, I believe. Correct? Yeah, I didn't um, fact check that one, but yeah, that's what yeah. he he made it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look on some maps while you're while you're talking about this. He meets a beautiful young lady, and they have a, a, a spirited exchange, um, and he completely falls for her. But she essentially says, "Well, you know, if it's meant to be, we'll we'll see each other again," and and moves on with uh you know with her her life, and he moves on with his. Um, we find out in their next encounter, which is also a chance encounter, her name is Katerina. And uh, Jay has fallen uh, head over heels in love with her. Yeah, he's one of those like romantic types. Um, yeah. You got to well, let's talk about Katarina for a second. I mean, she was written to be pretty, pretty impressive and pretty easy to fall for, right? Yeah. Now, do you think she's one of those manic pixie dream girls? Or. Um, you know, I so I didn't think about. It, but now you say it, yes, except yeah. that. You know, she's she's modeling. She's like a model in France, which yeah. doesn't really lend itself to the manic pixie dream girl. But yeah, everything else about her is for sure. And she's a little dirtier. Let's see. All right. So, yeah, she's definitely dirtier. But here's the the definition of a manic pixie dream girl, a type of female character depicted as vivacious and appear and appealingly quirky, whose main purpose within the narrative is to inspire a greater appreciation for life. In a male protagonist. I feel like that's exactly what this character does. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've never heard it defined before. But yeah, that's that's for sure what she does. She's and legit. lots of sex stuff. Lots of sex. Oh, my God. The sex in this book. I, I... All right. We'll continue with the story. And then I'll just. I'll just. Sure. I'm going to have like a big laundry line, like a lot, la- like a laundry, like list. list? Laundry list. <laughs> but I was thinking like a clothesline. If we were outside. You'd see a lot of clothes on the line, and that was me Why airing the fuck all my do they call it a laundry list? Like, do you ever list out your laundry? <laughs> I've never once. <laughs> Why is it called a laundry list? Hold on. <laughs> I've never listed anything in my laundry. Like, are you looking up the etymology of laundry list now? Yeah, so laundry list by definition is a long or exhaustive list of people or things. What the fuck does this mean? <laughs> right, you looked up a definite. All right, origin of no, laundry list. No, I know. List. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's it's see. So, oh, so originally it's a list of articles oh, or clothing that had been sent, sent to, be to be laundered. Oh, so when, yeah, so when, when you people sent used it to out. other people. Yeah, all right. Underwear number one, underwear number two, underwear number three, like that, apparently. Yeah. Purple it's underwear. Rob's list of hats that he sends yeah. to the cleaners. Uh, laundry list of complaints about the way the, the, the book is written, but I guess we want to talk a little bit about the story. So he sure. uh, encounters Katerina who is um, uh, just like immediately it's the love at first sight thing. Um, But 
uh, and she's obviously because she approaches him and she kind of like initiates their conversation. And like Livia said, they don't see each other and he's like hoping he sees her again. Um, it, It's obvious that like they have a very mutual, strong attraction to each other that over the course of the book um, plays out as as being an important part of the book. Even though like if you ask me, the biggest relationship he has in the book is with alcohol. Which I don't know if it was intentional. Yeah. So Rob means booze, not the guy named Al. Like, yeah, his his relationship <laughs> is is definitely with the bottle. Yeah. So, um, so it's supposed to be. So they have this kind of understanding that they they don't like. There's rules to their relationship that they, you know, she comes and goes as she pleases, and he can't get emotionally attached. She can't. He they can't be boyfriend girlfriend. But you know, when they do see each other. That's exactly what they act like, and she's trying to kind of establish this arm's length kind of uh, uh, relationship so that, you know, they don't get too serious and stuff like that. So throughout the course of the book, he's living his life being this fucked up loser writer in France while um, in love with this girl and, and at every 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 opportunity trying to spend time with her. In the present... Their conversations continue, um, and most of it reflective on the past, but also the more recent past. So we start to see through Jay. He's married. He's got a kid. He essentially kind of almost runs, not a publishing house, but I don't know, like a writing mill, I guess, is the best way that I could say that. Yeah. Where he, under some pseudonyms, along with other writers, kind of crank out books. Um, this is also somewhat based on James Frey's life, as there were six or seven books, um, the young adult books written by him, and I think three or four others. So I think that's what he was referencing there. Yeah. And just kind of like his life is is um, is satisfying. He has the things he needs. He loves his family, but he still feels like there's something maybe a little missing. Yeah, like- I know that. In the synopsis, it said that, you know, he's ready to run his car into a tree. I don't know, remember if he's actually said that. I didn't get that feeling. I just get the feeling that he's uh, a little um, undersatisfied. Like he thought life was going to be this really grand adventure. And even though he's been successful and had these things that happened to him, he just seems kind of ho-hum on the, on the thing. I think he actually, I think they literally did say drive his car into a tree um, at one point. Um, what I'm getting is that... Um, in, in the future person, basically, or the present day person, I guess I should say, what I got out of it was um, he got everything he he thought he wanted as a young guy, and realized that like oh there are some consequences for actions and um, uh, you know there's a negative side to to fame and fortune and all that kind of stuff and so he's being a whiny bitch about that instead of being a whiny bitch that he's not famous yet. So like it just it flipped on him. It did a 180 and he's still miserable, but for for the opposite reason, basically. All right. So at any rate, clearly, um, as indicated in the book, um, the relationship with Katerina, we know this pretty much from the beginning. They haven't seen each other since, you know, that time in Paris. So um, we know that doesn't end well. The rest of the book is, uh, you know, heading towards a climax where we find out what happens eventually between the two of them in the past and then the Mm -hmm. two of them in the present. So there's really kind of two climaxes uh, for the book. Both, both stories get their own. Although, like I said, the, the today is uh, utterly very small percentage of, of the, of the book. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the present day 
is really, I think, just like it could have been all in the past, but I think that uh, the the payoff of of uh, kind of the, the end of the book uh, required a present day factor to it, and so like he wrote it in as much as it was necessary to make the the, the payoff at the end make sense. One more thing on the present, um, without you know spoiling anything, um, it was also a vehicle for him to very briefly tell his side of the story in the whole Oprah debacle, which we mentioned earlier. And I know we'd stick yeah. to this as a fiction book, but there is a, a multi-paged um, kind of look through Jay, the character's eyes at what happened to him, because in this book, our protagonist um, experiences a very similar thing where his first book is a major success. It's found out to be partially fraudulent exposed you know by a talk show host blah 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 so all the stuff we told you at the beginning also happens to happen mm. to to jay the, the the protagonist in this book so i, I thought mm. that was worth mentioning because i was a little surprised when i came to that part i don't know enough about him um subsequently i went back and read some stuff online and found out that you know all the hints earlier about his publicist and about them kind of writing these books and him writing books under pseudonyms and stuff was true um, you know, but, and I felt that it was true, but it really kind of hit home later in the book when he addresses the whole million little pieces thing. Yeah. So I, I, how do you feel about story? Cause I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, here's, here's what I could say about the story. Um, I felt like it did a, a pretty good job of, um, exploring Paris, not necessarily so much as a tourist, but as somebody who is, who's currently living there. Um, there's a lot of interactions with locals. He has his roommate and he has a very close friend named Felipe and they, they do things together. There's obviously a relationship with Katerina. There's some other women sprinkled in throughout. So know that it's not a hundred percent focused on him and her. There are other elements and characters and, and um, I don't know, maybe a fair representation of a 19 slash 20 year old moving to, to Paris in 1992. I don't know. Mm, possibly. Yeah. yeah. I would say so. I mean, I'm assuming it happened to him. I'm assuming he's just writing from his own personal life, Likely. even though it's not represented as, as being a memoir, probably, I mean, once bitten twice shy, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting though because my thought through this was, I wonder how many drunks wind up sleeping outside all night because that happens to him quite a bit in this book too. That uh, constantly. Oh, we'll get onto the alcoholism. Like, you can never <laughs> after this book, you will never accuse me of having a drinking problem. Like, never. You can't. This is this is very true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. I was reading this, going like, oh my god, he's drinking again. <laughs> in the same day I mean alright so I, I am I had a beer tonight I do want to say that but that's the first beer I've had probably in about four weeks and and I was like this dude can't get through he can't get through drinking you know not drinking between meals basically right um, yeah and so like wow what a champion fucking alcoholic this guy was yeah um yeah, when I was a kid, I knew someone. He was a, a father of uh, some friends of mine, and he would drink. Uh, uh, I think it's called a handle of vodka, right? The big bottles. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. the every twice day. the size of a fifth. Every day. Oh my god, that's a half a gallon. Yeah, every day. So he would, oh, and god. oddly enough, his job was, if I remember correctly, this is thirty plus years ago. He would drive cars to like car auctions. Like that was his job is to help transport vehicles from wherever they were to the car auction. 
that he would stop on his way home every single day at the liquor store and buy a handle of vodka. That would last him, you know, until the next time he came home from work. I don't know what the hell he did on weekends or whatever, but Jesus. yeah. So yeah. I did the I did some quick math on that because it's a half a gallon, which is sixty four ounces, and if you're sleeping eight hours a day, you're awake for sixteen, right? That's four ounces per hour every hour you're awake. Jesus, this guy. I'm going to tell one more aside on this. Um, this guy once we were kids and we used to kids, you know, teenagers or fifteen or whatever, right? And, and we used to go, uh, we used to go drink over there. And the one time he popped in on us and said, "What are you guys doing?" and so I watched TV, drinking a little bit of wine. Do you remember MD 2020? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He took, um, I guess it was a pint of MD 2020 and said, well, here, let me get a swig of that. And then turned the bottle. It was full and turned the bottle upside down <laughs> in one shot, drained the whole thing. Oh. And then handed it back to uh, one of my friends or whatever and said, all right, thanks, man. And turned around and walked out. That yeah, so like That's this is commitment. like this is the capacity that our, our protagonist is drinking at, and um, uh, yeah, so literally you will never be able to like give me any kind of shit about how much I drink again because four weeks, buddy, four weeks since I've had anything. And I we uh, so do we need to talk about that? Was everything okay with you the last four weeks? Or <laughs> I just, just been busy at work. Um, if I would have known, I would have had like an intervention where I came over with a beer yeah, and was like, Rob, Rob, I know it's been like two weeks, man. Do you, let's 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 pour. Let's let's have some beer. You like open up this like handwritten letter. You're like, uh, this is coming from a place of love. Correct. Yeah. I'm worried yeah. about you not drinking at all, man. Yeah. So uh, you want to talk about this kind of the general. There's some stuff about the book outside of the plot that I think is, is worth worth talking about. I think you should start this off. Fucking hell. All right. So um, this dude, the way he writes is uh, profoundly obsessed with sex. Or at least we're supposed to believe that the protagonist in this book is profoundly obsessed with sex. Like there, there's not a chapter where sex doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen, it is at least talked about or fantasized about or referred back to. Sex is pervasive in this book. There is quite a bit of sex in this book. So much sex. So much sex. The, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna do like a, like a search to see how many times like fuck or fucked came up, because it's constant. Like this guy, so there's like this obsession with sex, and like, I get it. I've been a kid in his early twenties, and I can't, you know, so I can't point fingers because that's pretty much the main priority that I had when I was that age, but. It just seemed very, it seemed a little bit, I don't know, a little skanky. Well, it was, you, know. <sighs> you know, I I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that, and now I tried reading Tropic of Cancer many years ago, and I remember not getting very far into it. And I'm talking about like when I was in my Whoa. early 20s and ready to, to pack up and move to Paris. I was going to say, you didn't just immediately yeah. pack up and move to Paris. <laughs> I didn't finish the book. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> Um, but I do know that book was so because I was on the Wikipedia page just a little while ago. Like that book was banned in the United States till 1961. Mm. So I'm wondering how much of this has similarities to that as a story, because that also, I guess, draws on. And, and again, having not read it, Henry Miller's experiences living in New York and Paris. Mm. So I'm wondering how much of that is modeled like so modern day Tropic of Cancer. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but like you said, he's 20 and there's, you know, hot Paris, Parisian, Parisian chicks yeah, everywhere. Yeah. 
yeah. um, who, you know, want to have sex with a drunk American wannabe writer, I guess. I, I don't know what Paris was like in 1992. But I do imagine that as much time as he spent in bars and stuff that, you know, was it really unrealistic? Um, no, I would imagine this. Is, no. Yeah, but it's just I'm just saying it was it was mm, it's heavy. He wasn't shy with the sex. But the other thing was um, I found this young aspiring writer. And, and again, I'm going to walk back. I'm going to say that I'm going to say the strong thing the way I feel. But then I'm going to kind of give context to it. It was the most fucking annoying character that I've read in a long time is this like little 20 year old kid who thinks he's going to change the world with his books. And I was just, I got tired of it very fast. Um, that being said, I remember being an annoying kid in his early twenties <laughs> thinking he was going to change the world. You know what I'm saying? Like change the world with podcasts, with podcasts. And so, <laughs> and so I, I get it from, uh, uh, the point of authenticity, but at the same time, man, I did not like our protagonist really ever in the book. And, and, and I'll go deeper into that, but that's kind of like, I didn't like the whiny, like uh, nobody understands art. Like I do kind of approach to life that this kid had. It really rubbed me the wrong way. I, um, man, I'm not going to disagree with you on, on, on anything you said about the character specifically, because <laughs> I think you're right. I didn't, um, how do I say this? I didn't dislike him, but I wasn't super attached to him either. Yeah. If that makes sense. I did feel pretty heavily for him in a couple parts of this book, though, which then did endear me to him a little bit. Hmm. So um, some of it's spoilery, so I'm not really going to address. We can talk about it off air or whatever. But there are some parts where I was like, damn, bro. God damn it. You know what I mean? Where I was like, fuck. <laughs> This is a shitty thing that's happening to you right now. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. I'm and that, so interested to hear what that is because I, I don't think I like ever felt that way. That endeared me to him a little more. Um, and, and most of it was towards towards the the maybe not towards the end of the book, the latter, certainly latter half or maybe latter third of the book. Um, but, yeah, he was a little whiny, but I did feel it was kind of authentic. Um, you know, to, to hear someone rail against the world with their visions. Um, I, I think we see enough of that. Um, and often in someone that's that age. Yeah. It's a person discovering. And I guess that falls. That's why it's considered a, you know, at least an Amazon, a coming of age story, because it's someone who's trying to like understand where they are in the world and stuff like that. But, uh, where, uh, where I find it irredeemable is in the fact that he's the same way in 2017, like the character in 2017 is that way, but for different reasons. Like he just, nothing is good enough and he wants to drive himself into a tree because life didn't turn out the way he wanted to and blah, blah, blah. And it's like the same whiny, I don't want to say entitled, but like nobody understands me kind of attitude that he had when he was a kid that carried over into his adulthood that, um, that really made me kind of want to leave the character behind. All right. Um, one other thing that I, I feel like we have to talk about, and I'm surprised it hasn't come up already, is, and this is what being an amateur is. There's probably, there's probably a way to describe this writing that is not. Let me go back to the synopsis. Um, written in the same percu percussive, propulsive, dazzling, breathtaking style. I don't think that's the technical term mm, <laughs> for the writing no. style. <laughs> Um, well, that's the positive spin way of saying something for no, sure. No, no. And, and, and I understand because I will tell you that percussive, propulsive, 
I'll agree with dazzling and breathtaking. Not so much, but I do think those first two are, are probably pretty accurate. It, it here's, and, and I've been thinking about this because I've had thoughts about this with other books. Um, there, there's a level of, um, so first of all, the rules of writing exist for a reason. They're made rules, not because like people want to restrict you, but it's because people learn lessons of what they did wrong. Right. And, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, likely. <laughs> and so like when, when you're supposed to write in a specific way, it's because it is, a, it is, in my opinion, the most efficient way to deliver something to your reader. And um, you have to be able to do that before you decide to break those rules. And and so what I guess what I'm saying is the way that this book is written breaks a lot of common writing rules. And I don't really give people, I guess, creative credit for that unless I feel like they've earned the right to write that way. And I know I haven't read other James Frey stuff from what I understand, though. This is kind of typical of his writing style. And I just don't think... I guess what it, what happens is it works in as much as it's a kid um, who feels stifled, uh, who feels like, you know, that the traditional way of doing things doesn't fit what they're feeling and, and, and feels like uh, um, a release and, and, you know, feels finally accomplished when they break away from the, the mold of how you're supposed to write something. That's kind of the point of of this, but I think that that was built into the narrative just so he could write however the fuck he wanted to. I find it as like, it was a kind of like a, a back door into writing weird for the sake of writing weird in a way that I don't like. And so, um, I had a big problem with the way that the, the actual, like the, the punctuation, um, run at, run on sentences, um, re- repetition of words, full on poems at some points, which I know that <laughs> lost points with you for that. I mean, yeah, I don't think that the author has earned the right to write the way that they wrote this book. I'm, I want to give an example of one of the things that Rob said, and, and there's no fair way to do this. I kind of did a little bit going through the um, synopsis, that first part of the synopsis. I'm going to read. Um, so this is uh, him hooking up with uh, with Katerina. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read, you know, one to four words. Then when there's a line break, I'm just going to say line. So you get an idea of what this looks like yeah. on a page, right? So every time I say line, think someone hit the enter key, type something else. Then I say line, they hit the enter key again, okay? We take our time, line, kiss, line, stare, line, smile, line, whisper, line, laugh, line, slow and deep, <laughs> line, fast and hard, line, slow and deep, line, hips in rhythm, line, hands locked, line, eyes into each other, line. And it goes on for a little while longer. Um, and yeah, when when Rob said punctuation, I think what he meant to say was lack of punctuation. Yeah, there's like, um, yeah, there's pages <laughs> where it's like one comma. Yeah, and there's places where, it, and it's so funky that I'd go back and read because I was like, no, I must have missed a word. Like I must have skipped something, you know what I mean? Where I had to go and go, oh yeah, there should have been a comma in there. That would have made it easier to read. So yeah, there's there's uh there's some poetry. Um there is a alarming <laughs> lack of commas, but only sometimes. Only sometimes. Only sometimes. So yeah. Look at your paragraph now. Looks like all the commas are in the right spot. Um Yeah, I don't know. And he does, as Rob mentioned very briefly, I don't know if anyone caught it. Um he does address 
that essentially he's going to write the way he wants to write in here. And I'm guessing that what you're saying ties back to the first book based on the synopsis. It says written in the same style. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, his first book was written like this. So I don't know about the, the ones in between the three other books, I believe that he's written under his own name in between, but it's, uh, yeah, he he does that thing that everyone hates where he doesn't, um, give any kind of indication of what's dialogue and what is action and what is description. And so you have to just kind of into it what's going on by what the words are, mm-hmm. um, through the, uh, I think through the entire book. Yeah. There are no quotation marks in this book. Um, which does not lend itself to the fucking kind of haphazard style that this <laughs> dude writes in, because sometimes you have a, like a sentence that's three words. That's its own line that might look like something that someone's saying, but it's not, it's just, you know, part of a thought that for some fucking reason that no one understands belongs on its own line. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's a little challenging. Do you know which one of my favorite books also has no quotation marks? I feel like it's more of a Western. Am I right about this? No, not at all. Damn it. Um, well, Christopher bear, the, oh. the Phineas Poe trilogy, sure. Kiss Me Judas, yeah, has no yeah. quotation marks in it. Those books can do no wrong. That, yeah, so, but I, God, I remember even the first time reading that and being like, how am I going to read? So, you know, it took a few, <laughs> you know, like a chapter or two yeah, yeah. to kind of get in the rhythm. But then, and even with this, for the most part, I got who was saying what, like, but yeah, there's, there's a, I think there's a better way to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, how everybody else does it, by the way, because it didn't. I, how do I say this? No one would have cared if this was written in a more traditional style. Nobody would have gotten more or less out of the story. It would have been easier for the reader to read. Yeah. Um, but you risk alienating people by doing this. So Rob was very put off with it. I was somewhat put off with it. <laughs> and if this was written in a traditional style, you know what I mean? Yeah. You wouldn't have had any of those issues. And, and and hence we would have spent six less minutes saying negative things about this book. And, and let's be honest. And James Frey, I'm happy to talk to you on the podcast if you want to kind of like you know represent your side of things. Bookspodcast at gmail dot com. Email us. We will talk. I will I will happily apologize if I'm wrong about this. But like, um, if it it all comes down to like this is my this is my art. This is my style. It's kind of a shitty reason to complicate the reading experience so yeah look reading should only be made more difficult if quite honestly i I think if it's if it's part of the plot in service of the plot exactly exactly yeah 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 i'm with you on that now uh can i air probably my biggest grievance for sure um again james ray booked podcast at gmail.com happy to talk to you happy to um, you know, objectively hear what's going on, and you know, I'm happy to change my mind if you if you if you turn me around on this. But I feel like a good chunk, and and if I had to measure it um, in percentage, it's not going to be a high percent, but like a good 15 to 18 percent of this book is just the the author lecturing us on writing, <laughs> in a way, like how you know, there's a lot of fuck the machine, <laughs> there's a lot of um. Uh, write what you feel and 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 some of it i agreed with like you know as an as an artist you know an, an author being an artist i guess if you want to consider them that 
um, they shouldn't feel like they have to write the way that James Patterson writes, or they shouldn't feel like they have to write the way that J.K. Rowling writes or whatever. They should write the way that they write. They should find their own voice. I agree with that. But um, there's a lot of really dangerous things that are said in this book about about writing that um, maybe don't apply to everybody. But he was kind of saying it as if like this is the only way you can be a true art true artist. Did you did you catch any of that? Um, maybe not quite as much as you did. I I, I remember getting that impression, but I, you were like fifteen eighteen percent. That's that's a lot. I'm not. I don't yeah. think maybe I maybe I missed some of that. Well, there was a good solid chunk of the book, and I, I think it might have been like in between when he met Katarina and when you know the Katarina relationship kind of fully blossoms, where like. He's just drinking and writing a lot, and there was like a good chunk of that time where he's just fucking lecturing about, you know, um, the way things are written versus the what you should do and, and stuff. And it just felt very like it felt like this this person was writing like, hey, this is what it took for me to realize how I could actually write something that I found value in as if that's what everybody needs to do to also find value in what they're writing. Yeah, and I don't agree with that as a statement. I mean, you know, when earlier you said it's listed, also listed under like literary. I mean, there's something to be said. There is a writing style that we kind of fall into that we say, well, this is literary. But we don't say that about a different book. And quite honestly, the books themselves um, may be written in the exact same style, but there's something there, right? So literary could be that it doesn't have its own genre. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, right? Like um, a Paul Tremblay book is horror because there are horrific elements in it. If Paul Tremblay wrote a book about his day-to-day life, we'd say this is a literary book. But it would be written in the same cadence (laughs) that his horror books are written in, right? Or is there something else there that really defines literary well, literary for me, for the most part, equates to quality. Like, um, I think we were talking to like Stephen Graham's Jones, and this is probably six years ago or something like that. And I, and I don't want to misrepresent him, so apologies if I'm not saying something that. But like in the conversation, it, it kind of boiled down to like there's literary horror, there's literary, you know, um, I'm sure there's literary bizarro, and I'm sure it's Carlton Melick the third. Um, but uh, it, it boils down to like like quality and content, right? At least that's how I've always kind of thought of it. Like literary can be anything as long as there's like a high level of quality to it. I'm going to see if we can Google this because Google makes <laughs> things. I could be wrong. Um, and I don't want to miss, of all the people, I love Stephen Graham Jones so much. I don't want him to be like, Rob, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> so he's also um, really tall and intimidating. Yeah. No, and I think that's how we qualify it. <laughs> Yeah. But um, here is the number two definition for um, literary associated with literary works or other formal writing, having a marked style intended to create a particular emotional effect. Well, this definitely did. This is very literary, according to that definition. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess my point in saying that was, you know, does this is this more literary because it's got weird writing shit going on? I I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would still classify this as literary. For um, lack for lack of a better genre, <laughs> probably for lack of a better genre. Right. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm being honest. That's yeah. yeah if, so, um, I, I just I felt it was a little preachy on the writing, and especially coming from like a there was this fucking moment, and and like this touched <laughs> me. In, 
you know where I'm going with this, right? Oh, but it's fun to watch you go there. Especially coming from, like, I was that kid, man, in, like, such a fucking way. Um, he goes to this graveyard. This is the Jim Morrison grave moment. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you knew that's where I was going, right? Yes. Where, like, this guy, Jay, our protagonist, is wandering through this French graveyard. I don't remember the name of it, but it's, it's very famous and lots of lots of famous and very important, like, people of the arts and stuff are buried there, apparently. Uh, and, and it's also the place where... <laughs> Notice that I made a distinction, a separation there, uh, where Jim Morrison was buried, um, and he and he stumbles upon the Jim Morrison grave, and he just gets angry at all these, you know, people who are there's graffiti everywhere, and these fucking hippies are like smoking weed, and you know, you know, literally enjoying being at Jim Morrison's grave because it's significant to them, and he basically tells them they're idiots for, uh, and and they and he, I think, multiple times says fuck Jim Morrison, like in the book. Which and talks about his shitty poetry and like really cuts him down and, and probably rightfully so. But like when I was a kid, that was me. I would have been at that grave, and it would have meant something to me. And um, the funny thing about that whole scene is like this person, our protagonist, felt like he was above these people because he understood the downfalls or like the the shortcomings of a Jim Morrison. But like. <laughs> He is just as shitty of a person for so many reasons as Jim Morrison or the people who who worship him. And so I don't know if it was intentional irony or not, but like this guy was acting just as fucking awful as the people that he was judging for being awful. I want to say I respect (laughs) your criticism of that part of the book. (laughs) That being said, I just when you went into it, I was thinking because I actually have part of that passage highlighted. Um, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and all I could think of <laughs> while I was reading it was I would never go and interfere with somebody's like morning of what, you know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. just would never bust in on someone and be like, hey, Jim Morrison uh, sucks yeah. or, or whatever. But man, I was with him on all the things he was saying about Jim Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like, it's not like he wasn't wrong by any yeah, stretch of no. the imagination, but he was still an asshole. Yeah, he was totally an asshole. He also shits on the Mona Lisa, which is something I've yeah. always thought, too. Like, I don't understand why that is, like, the most revered painting in the world. Like, you know, I'm not saying I, I don't know anything about painting. Technically, it looks like a good painting, but I was like, it's not particularly beautiful. It's really just kind of a portrait. There are probably better portraits out there. But for some reason, you know, like 10 million people uh, a year, like stand in the Louvre in front of this dinky little Mona Lisa painting. And it's like the most exciting thing they see while they're in France. And uh, I just I, I never got it. So in some ways, like I said, I, I maybe, you know, I'm, I'm like almost exactly James Frey's age. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm looking at this going, yeah, the Mona Lisa, I've always thought that. And yeah, I, I hear people talk about the doors and I kind of roll my eyes. And like I said, I don't actively engage somebody in the the artist that you love isn't any good because what's the point in that, right? But in my mind, the doors come up and I think, oh, God, the fucking doors. And this is the line yeah. that, that I highlighted. That corny fucking organ, those awful <laughs> lyrics, that light my fire nonsense, it all kind of sucked. And I like, yes, it, it did. I agree wholeheartedly. <sighs> Outside of bringing this up in relevance to this book and this podcast, I don't normally go around telling someone who's playing the doors, but spot fucking on, man. So Rob's the guy who would have been at the Jim Morrison grave, as he said. Yeah. And I'm the guy who would be thinking the things that James uh, Jay, the character in this book, thought. <laughs> Oh, it's so true. But like at the end of the day, here's the thing. 
the the whole point of the J character in this book um, is that this is an artist. They consider themselves an artist. They they consider themselves someone who understands art, and they're going to make the world uh, understand their art or question their art or whatever it happens to be. Right? Um, but he's such an asshole about <laughs> certain art. It's like, um, but but at the same time. He's accepting. He's accepting the fact that you know people will shit on my art, and that's that's okay because I made them think about it. And and I don't want to spoil, but like there's there's kind of a side effect of that that happens toward the end of the book, um, where he kind of maybe changes his mind on that. But he's just this fucking asshole. He's such an asshole about like I know what good art is, and I know what bad art is, and I'm also making art that I think is good. I think it's going to change the world. It's, it's this weird kind of, it's a weird stance for, for a character to make. Yes. All right. Um, man, I got to tell you, I was a little worried. We wouldn't have stuff to talk about like within the book. Um, I do want to pitch you one more idea though, before we go to wrap up. So let's just say, so obviously you didn't like young Jay at all. And I know you didn't like older Jay, but if, the story is being told to us by current Jay and it's, let's say that it's, you know, accurate, even in just in the bounds of the story. Is it okay that he exposed younger Jay for these flaws that he had? Cause I don't think at any point older Jay says anything to us about how younger Jay was a, you know, a, a, a beacon of artistry or, or whatever, right? If he's just telling you, that, hey, I was a shitty, stupid kid that drank too much and shit on people in graveyards. Like, does it change at all? Like, because what you're doing, oh, I think, I feel like what you're doing, and I think we do this all the time. Some, you know, all of us do this. Like, you're mad at the character for the story that's being told. If the story is accurate, like, if it's acknowledged that younger Jay was kind of a douchebag, does it make it any better for you? Yeah, and that that kind of really emphasizes kind of like an overall point that I think the book is trying to make um that I've been thinking a lot about and and it'll make more sense probably after wrap up when we talk about like James Frey a little bit a little bit deeper. Um it, it, it this book is about someone trying to be understood. Like it's someone basically putting it all out there and saying like this is all the shit that happened and you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make excuses for myself. I'm just telling you this is what happened, so that you can know where I'm coming from or whatever. It's all about being understood, and, and that makes a big difference in the book because, like, I guess as much as I can criticize an individual moment in the book, I can't criticize the book itself for because that was the goal of the book was just to try and like have you understand this person who is like deeply flawed. So yeah, absolutely. I would say I I I fully agree with the fact that that would change my my feelings about a character. Cool. I mean, I took it as kind of a cautionary tale. You know what I mean? It was kind of like live your life, yeah. be adventurous, do the things you want. But here's what happened to me when I did that. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like hey, I was inspired by Tra Tropic of Cancer to do what I want, to feel everything I wanted to feel, to try everything I wanted to try. Um, and I was, and I went full force head on into that, not realizing that there may be consequences of my actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I think that is a really good place to start our wrap ups and you're already on a roll. So I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you channel all that into your wrap up. Well, I think this is a little bit of a unique review for us because um, he came out with a book early 2011. I think it was not long after we started the podcast that we considered talking about. And it was the final gospel of Jesus Christ or whatever it was called. Um, and we wanted to talk about it specifically because he was a controversial character because of a million little pieces or a million tiny pieces or whatever it's called. Uh, we, for whatever reason, decided not to read it. And so six, seven years later, I guess seven years later, um, a new book came out from him and we decided to go for it. And I think a lot of the uh, uh, the draw for, for talking about this book was to see, for me at least, I said yes because I wanted to see, well, like, is this guy an actual piece of shit? Or is he just hyped up to be a piece of shit? And um, probably more than more than usual, one of the things that I tried to do while reading this book was to read it on its own merit, as opposed to allowing what I've heard about the author to taint my uh, impression of the book, which was infinitely more difficult because this book is essentially him telling us his life story without saying, this is my life story. <laughs> right? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, correct. So it was like this constant challenge of like uh, objectivity in the face of like um, the, I guess the low hanging fruit being like, well, this is like kind of a tell all of of his life, um, thinly veiled. Uh, but I did. I tried to say the course, and and the the grievances that I aired about the book are a hundred percent true. However, as a story, it's good, and. <laughs> I, I can't take that away from the dude. Like it has all of the elements of, of a good story. And, and I have some minor criticisms such as, um, I, I really think that the, the relationship between him and Katarina could have been sold a little bit more. And, um, I guess some of the things that happened toward the end needed to have, to be fleshed out a little bit more in order for to have like a little bit more of an emotional impact for me. And there was far, far too much, like, um, just an alcoholic asshole. But I have to leave room for the fact that maybe the author wanted to say, like, look, I was mainly an alcoholic asshole, but this love story happened in my life. So it was really challenging for me to, like, decide what I, <laughs> what I think about this book because I have legitimate arguments against the way that it was written, uh, legitimate arguments against the characters, but overall... Um, I mean, it's obvious that James Frey knows how to write, and um, there are very few flaws to the story itself. And so, I, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I don't know, I've been going back and forth about how I'm going to rate this book because I want to be, as always, I want to be as objective as possible. And um, if I'm thinking purely about the story, uh, you know, taking away some points for the flaws that I saw in the book and the way that I thought the plot was played out. Uh, and it could have been better and how the how the characters were a little bit irredeemable. Um, but then weighing that against the fact that that's probably exactly what he wanted to do, I have to give a little more, more points for that. I'm like really struggling. I'm going back and forth. And realistically, <sighs> I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty middle of the road. And I'm going to give this book three stars. I have similar struggles to you, Rob, um, in 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 this. So. Um, I'll, I'll start, I guess, story structure, um, story itself, I guess is what I'm saying is I really like the story a lot. 
there were <laughs> challenges there. And some of those challenges were structural. And I mean, in words on the page, um, to me, like I said before, I don't think you hurt your book by writing it in a, and again, this is exactly what Jay was railing against, right? In a very traditional format with paragraphs and quotation marks and commas. Um, but you do stand the chance of alienating someone. And and again, I'm not to put words in Rob's mouth, but I think he would have given it a higher rating had this have been written in a more traditional um, way, because that, that did impact the reading. Being said, he knows how to push emotional buttons. I was emotionally affected, not strongly. It's not going to change my life or whatever. But there were parts that felt a little gut punchy um, to me in this book where I felt genuinely bad for this character, um, despite the fact that, you know, I had to feel genuinely bad over three word paragraphs, you know, over a course of a couple of pages or, or whatever it was. Um, I really liked his relationship with Katarina. And, and this is where I have to keep this on the fiction side, because, you know, what Rob's saying is true as you're reading this and you're trying. I'm saying I'm going to read this. I want to know if this guy is is a good writer, if he gets a, a bum rap because of the shit that happened, bum rap, whatever you want to call it, if he's responsible forever for this this million little pieces thing or not. Like, I just want to know if he can tell a good story. Um, I thought the Katarina was was a little overplay. I mean, Katarina's goddamn near perfect. I mean, it's it's kind of tough to, you know, and, and again, you have to go back and say, well, you know, we're seeing it through Jay's eyes. Was she really perfect? What would his friend Felipe have to say about Katarina? You know what I mean? Like, you can play that game all day long. I found her to be, and I didn't think this myself, I'll give Rob credit for this, too, Manic Pixie Dream Girl um, for reality. Probably just the right amount for a love story or, or a fiction book. But in reality, I don't believe this person exists, at least not the way that she's put on the page. Um, I really liked the story and I so, so wish that it would have been written in a way that was more congenial to, to, to my reading style and that of probably most people that are listening and, you know, most people in the world. Um, but God damn it, I thought it was a great story. So I'm going to go significantly higher than Rob in this and I'm going to give it four stars. Holy shit. I did not expect this book to, to get as high when we were like, Hey, let's read that James Frey book. And I was like, all right. I didn't even like two days ago or yesterday because I started reading it yesterday, like even halfway through reading the book. I did not expect it to get uh, a collective three and a half stars from us because that's that's still in the I liked it, too. I really liked it kind of. But I mean, you have to give the dude credit like he, he knows how to write. I think if had he written this under a pseudonym, I think that we would have probably, you know, we, we would probably land it, you know. Maybe a little, a little more favorable. I don't know. I don't know. I like I said. For me, the only detractor in this is um, is the 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 just the way the words are put on a page, like the formatting of it and stuff yeah, like that. I mean, yeah. it stressed me the fuck out for most of this book. <laughs> and there was a poem, so I mean, like you're probably going to go a four right, star. No, lower. yeah. Well, that's yeah. I mean, there's, a five star book. If there wasn't that poem, uh, my god, man. Um, now. <laughs> Here's what we need to talk about. So we, we, I think we did a pretty good job of trying to treat this as a fiction book. Um, you know, I, we could probably dive in. It probably would, would take a little while and we could find out. Like I said, we already found like kind of a factual inconsistency. And like I said, the one page I was on said he graduated college in 1992 or whatever, which is when he's yeah. in Paris. So <clears throat> I think so if you Google this book, there are just a ton of James Frey still sucks like articles they're all they all say essentially the same thing yeah. um 
And I really feel like this guy, look, what he did, I, I don't know how bad what he did was. You know, I said Millie Vanilli earlier, so I'll, I'll go back to that. <laughs> I liked Millie Vanilli. Yeah. I liked Millie Vanilli, the music, no less the day after I found out they didn't sing it, the Rob and Fab, the, the, the Millie Vanilli right. guys that you saw in the video didn't sing it. Now, my understanding is... <laughs> like, oh, is, that's interesting. When's the next album coming out? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, I was like, I still like the songs just as much. Um, people turned on this first fucking book, right? Big like, time. they thought it was a memoir. So part of the reason is, in, in, in my very brief and limited research that I did, was that this is his first book was about... Um, getting over addiction. It was about addiction and the path to recovery. Yeah, okay. like crack addiction. Yeah. So my my understanding is that some people kind of took it as like a Bible on how to get well. So I can see people who, you know, try to use it as a guide to make their lives right, finding out that, you know, as some parts of it or whatever percentage of it is untrue would, would affect them, right? Especially if they're trying to model their life after this guy because they're going through a similar problem or, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. at what point does a story change because you find out that the facts aren't true? Like, does it, because we're reading it. I mean, you know, we're, you're still reading a book. Yeah. Like enjoyability should be what's on the page. And that's, that's, that's my Millie Vanilli story, right? Like when I put in my cassette of girl, you know, it's true. It still sounded just as good to me, <laughs> yeah. even though I knew it wasn't yeah. those guys singing it. So you and I do not have the exposure to having read a million little pieces and then finding out that, you know, part of it is bullshit. So I, I don't know if that would have, if I would have thought any less of the book, certainly I could think less of the writer. But if you don't like the writer, stop reading his books, right? Like if you yeah. have a passionate disagreement with a writer's um, style, politics, um, opinions on things, whatever it is, like the solution is there are a million other writers that you can read. Yeah, it's so a real easy solution. So going back and then, you know, just writing articles saying, well, he's still a piece of shit or whatever seems, you know, a little disingenuous. Like I, I can't see somebody reading this book and really thinking this book is shit. No, like I, like I said before, like I, I thought the story was good. And right, yeah. I was thinking about this too, you know, in preparation for this conversation is like, um, <clears throat> from at least from what, and this is maybe going dipping a little spoilery into like what we hear in this book, but like, uh, from what, from my understanding of, of how things went down, uh, it was, you know, obviously there were some embellishments to what happened in, you know, uh, the, it was largely inspired by real life, but then embellished and maybe embellished more than the average person might, might embellish. But like he, he originally was trying to market it as a fiction book. If I, if I correct, if I'm correct on that and then was told, Hey, this is going to sell better as a memoir. And he's like, well, I'm going to roll with that. And then you know, one thing led to another and suddenly it was a bigger deal than maybe they ever expected it to be. And if that's the case, there's no way you can allow the scandal of, of what happened to, uh, influence what you think about his, his, um, his ability as a writer. You can't, you can't, you have to divorce those two things because the entire scandal was based on how to market a book. It had nothing to do with the way the book was written. The book was already written when the choice was made to market it as a memoir. And so there's no way that you can judge one off the other. Mm -hmm. So like you have to give the dude credit regardless of, of bad decisions that were made possibly in the marketing 
side of things, like his writing is his writing, and if people were so touched by it, then that's that's a genuine effect, regardless of you know any anything else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I it, here's the thing, James Frey fable aside, you know, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there are a lot of writers that would have gone the same route. Yeah, there are probably a lot of writers um, that have that just haven't been exposed, maybe. Well, right, because you got to get big for someone to care enough to expose you. That's that's the sure that's right. The gist of it, right? So if, if <laughs> I write a book and throw it up on Amazon, you know, you can expose me, but you're going to be like, that's ah, too much work to expose Livius because he called bullshit and yeah, he posts post some bullshit, right? So yeah, my ass was really saved by never getting big. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I mean, it's um, I, the the thing is, I guess we don't know Sans Oprah where he would have gone yeah. as, as a writer. So obviously his book was successful enough to get in Oprah's hands, but it really blew up after the fact. So, you know, do, do we know, would we have been reading all of his books if it wasn't for that and being yeah. like, man, I really like this story too. Um, I, like, I don't know. And like, how much does it really like matter? I guess is what it comes down to. Like, um, like you said, if, if you're turned off by the turn of events, you don't have to read the dude's books. If it doesn't matter to you, which for most people, like had I read a million whatever pieces, little pieces, and enjoyed it and then found out, oh, uh, it turns out, you know, it was some heavy embellishing, I probably would have been like, yeah, it was still a good story. Right? See, and that's where I'm at. So, I don't know. Maybe you and I are a different... We're not assholes. Well, we're, no. ass- we're assholes. Well, sure, I mean, but... yeah, different different kind different. of... Uh, <laughs> It, so surprisingly <laughs> enough, this book only has 22 reviews currently oh, wow. on Amazon for having been out now two like, full weeks. Yeah, I think almost three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dropped two on one September 11th, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two one star reviews. <laughs> one of them literally wrote God awful is the title. Yeah. And uh, they just wrote garbage as there. <laughs> so see, that's what I mean. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't I that's can't see helpful. how somebody. Can, well, not only is it not helpful. Which let me click my not helpful button. Um, hey, good job! You're, <laughs> yeah, you're contributing to society. Yeah. Um, not only is it not helpful, it, it's like I said, I think it's just disingenuous. I, I can't like even as much issue as I had with with the structure and whatever. I, I just I find it hard to believe someone thinks it's that bad. Anyway, that's Amazon um, reviews for you. Um, it's currently at three and a half stars, which oddly enough falls exactly where you and I um, reviewed it. Yeah. So. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm not opposed to reading more James Frey. Will I go back and read a million little pieces? No, but I was considering talking you into reading, um, Tropic of Cancer. Ah, as like a little For, throwback episode? Our, uh, well, what is it? Our, our best of the best episode? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I think that's probably Henry Miller's, right? Tropic of Cancer. It's the first book in that weird trilogy or whatever that he wrote. So yeah, I'm guessing so. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we'll review that. But uh, yeah, I'm totally down for another Frey book if one if one pops up in the future. Yeah, not um, not nearly as painful as I expected it to be. And um, again, like I think people lean into the hype of the situation so much, I guess good or bad hype, that it just kind of gets blown out of proportion. Like at the end of the day, a book's a book. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Well, you know, people are treating this like um, there's no redemption. Yeah. Um, yeah. Y- y- well, you know what I mean? It's kind of that same thing. Like, yeah, it was a long time ago. It was like 14 years ago, I think, that this happened. Like, at this point, you should probably kind of, you know, get over the... Yeah, and like, honestly, fucking... Uh, what? 
when was it that we were reading all the horrible shit that authors had done? Like H.P. Lovecraft was a crazy Lovecraft was a crazy yes. racist, mm-hmm. and like yep. I'm sure that there are like authors who were like straight up Nazis or murderers or like child abusers or whatever that like are revered in literary history for like the, their contribution, and like Homeboy gets a little crazy with marketing his book and and is just branded forever. So I don't know. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft is always the most interesting one. Yeah. Always, without fail, because he was. He was pretty much an open racist, and people can separate that. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, Mel Gibson? People got over Mel Gibson. Yeah. Didn't take that long, right? But at the same time, it's not like James Frey is doing bad. That movie, I Am Number 4, was based on, like, a children's book that, or a young adult book that he wrote. Like, oh, is that? Okay. I yeah, didn't know what that, that was. Yeah, there was a series, like, like five or six books yeah. or whatever, like, so they cranked out um, collectively yeah. to... So it's not like he can't make it, you know, in in in, in his field. He's doing okay. Like, uh, if you read his bio, like his books have been, he's sold over twenty million books and then, uh, you know, translated into 19, dozens nineteen of... million nine hundred thousand from that one episode of Oprah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, but it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like it's he's having not like it's a hardship. It's more of a personal hardship than like a, sure. like a professional hardship. Well, to give you some uh, some perspective on that, um, his other two books. So, Million Little Pieces, 2,200 reviews, four stars. Um, the follow-up to that was My Friend Leonard. Yeah. Um, four, it looks like four and a half stars, five, 514 reviews. And then Bright Shiny Morning, which came out a few years later, four stars, 283 reviews. So, yeah, he's not. He's dipping. Um, he, his, it's dipping down. There, But there are enough people. That that like his books and apparently have uh, are not are not um, judging him based on you know on on the the debacle the, the, the stigma debacle yeah yeah we didn't we we looked nope. past the stigma and I'm glad we did because uh, like I said I don't know that there's ever going to be time in my schedule to go back but yeah I'm definitely open to reading more James Frey yeah all right um, that. Uh, that was that went a lot smoother. I thought I was gonna I thought I was gonna be angrier before I started reading it, and I thought there was gonna be more uh, uh, kicking someone while they were uh, maybe down. But um, it turned out to be a little bit smoother than I expected. Do we have anything else? Uh, I guess we need to prepare people for the fact that you're gonna be out of the country. Correct. I, after reading this book, have decided to drop everything and go to France. Hey, <laughs> this is this is uh, this is not a joke. This is not a lie. He's literally going, going to France, France, yeah. <laughs> France and uh, and London. The two um, places so, that he lives in this book. Correct. I'm doing them in the correct order as well. So no, um, there shouldn't be a ton of interruption for you guys in the event that there's a little bit of a gap. Um, you'll you will be hearing an interlude episode next week. Um, and then we should be reviewing something the following week. So there shouldn't be a gap in in uh, in episodes. Um, but who knows? There might be some stories. Maybe I will walk in the in the footsteps of James Frey in France. You have we'll, to go uh, to Jim Morrison's grave now and just like really fucking belittle people for oh, liking him. Here's here's uh, here's where we travel in the future. Here's my here's my story about <laughs> France. So I went straight to Jim Morrison's grave and fucking waited three days and nobody fucking showed up. And then I had to leave. So, it's, it's, oh, so um, it. yeah, Jim Morrison's grave, not on my itinerary, um, surprisingly or not yeah. surprisingly, I guess. Um, yeah. So really, for you guys, there shouldn't be any any significant gap in episodes. We'll still be here doing our thing. Um, it's potential that we'll have two interlude episodes back to back. Yeah. Other than that. No, that's it. That's all I got. 
Yeah, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode where we uh, did not uh, jump into the hype of beating down James Frey. Uh, until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.